Welcome to Messy Leadership, a podcast for ultra-ordinary leaders in the midst of the mess. I'm Ryan Weaver, and there's really no way around it. If we desire to be effective leaders, the prevailing leadership research shows that messy leaders must embody something that none of us really wants to talk about, much less display in our lives on a regular basis. As leaders, we know that we need to be strong, confident, authoritative. But for deep trust to be established in our interpersonal relationships, in our workplace, in our families, a level of vulnerability is necessary. And honestly, I would rather not open this brand new podcast with a topic so emotionally charged and potentially polarizing. But there's really no way around this subject. Eventually, we will need to talk about the reality of the extreme tension that exists within each of us in regard to vulnerability. So let's go ahead, take a deep breath, and let's just get into it. Here we go. Let's get messy. Vulnerability is scary stuff, and there's no easy way for us to be equipped to be vulnerable in relationship with others. It's almost as if an aversion to vulnerability is an essential part of what it means to be human. And this is where the complexity of it all reaches a messy crescendo. We are vulnerability-averse messy leaders who are leading other vulnerability-averse, messy leaders. Vulnerability is the place where messiness is at its most complex and challenging. In her research on vulnerability, Brene Brown has found that vulnerability is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, empathy, and creativity. She calls vulnerability the source of hope, empathy, accountability, and authenticity. And she writes, if we want greater clarity in our purpose or deeper and more meaningful spiritual lives, vulnerability is the path. The art of effective, messy leadership requires vulnerability. And there's a simple reason why this is true. All leaders are members of organizations and communities and tribes where we are also followers being led and mentored in the same way that we are leading and mentoring others. And leadership and followership are intertwined in this way. Trust built on authentic vulnerability is the pathway to vibrant relationships within a tribe or an organization. And vulnerability is the pathway for sustained trust between leaders and followers. We will spend some time in the next episode exploring the importance of developing clarity in leadership and followership. For now, I will simply state the obvious. Any definition of leadership must acknowledge the presence and inherent worth of those we are leading. And I should pause here to say again, vulnerability is scary stuff. One of the reasons that vulnerability is so difficult for us is that the world around us 
is full of complexity and change. And although we may view complexity in a healthy way, as a normal progression of growth, the fact that there are complexities that exist outside of our control feeds our natural aversion to vulnerability. Edgar Schein is one of the pioneers of the study of culture within organizations. In fact, Edgar Schein has written the definitive textbook on organizational culture. And in that textbook, Schein devotes an entire chapter to the importance of safety and trust within organizations that desire to develop a culture where learning and vulnerability are celebrated. Culture is the place where the outside forces of complexity drive us toward trust. And the culture of each organization that we lead is intended to serve as a stabilizing force, a place of safety and refuge for the leaders and followers who belong to that organizational tribe. Shine has written that the ability for effective leaders to acknowledge complexity may also imply the willingness and emotional strength to admit uncertainty and to embrace experimentation and possible errors as the only way to learn in an organization. According to Edgar Schein, it is in seasons of confusion and unclarity where space is created for messy leaders to step back with humility and invite those that we lead to actively participate in the visioneering process. Complexity presents an invaluable opportunity for messy leaders to strengthen the tribes we lead around a mission which engages the volatility of the present and moves our organizations forward into an uncertain future. Complexity almost compels messy leaders to be vulnerable, to invite experimentation and creativity, to shift our worldview, to embrace the messiness of failure in order to build a culture of learning and trust. What if we gave ourselves permission to recognize complexity as less of a threat and more of an invitation? That's exactly what the following story is all about. July 16th of 1969. Apollo 11 astronauts Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and Michael Collins sat atop a massive Saturn V rocket inside Launch Complex 39A at the Kennedy Space Center in Titusville, Florida. At 9.32 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, the 363-foot-tall rocket spent its fuel behind 7.5 million pounds of thrust to propel these three men and the Columbia Command Module beyond the Earth's atmosphere and into the depths of space. 30 seconds and counting. 
Astronauts report it feels good. T minus 25 seconds. 20 seconds and counting. T minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 12, 11, 10, 9. Ignition sequence start. 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Tower cleared. Here we got a roll program. Neil Armstrong reporting the roll and pitch program, which puts Apollo 11 on a proper heading. The complexity of the mission to land on the moon was no secret. Every contingency plan had been prepared. NASA had never successfully landed an aircraft on any object other than the Earth at this point. So a month earlier, in June of 1969, Apollo 8 astronaut and NASA liaison Frank Borman made contact with White House senior speechwriter William Sapphire to suggest that he begin preparing a statement for the president in the event that Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin encountered catastrophic problems during the Apollo 11 lunar landing. The American general public was well aware of the many risks involved in space travel after the Apollo 1 tragedy in January of 1967. The flash fire that claimed the lives of three astronauts was deeply embedded in the collective national memory. After the successful takeoff into space of Apollo 11, the next great concern was the moon landing itself. And there were significant concerns surrounding the moon landing. Two days after Apollo 11 launched from the Kennedy Space Center on July 18th, William Sapphire delivered a solemn and inspiring 233-word memo to the White House Chief of Staff, Bob Haldeman. Sapphire's speech was written for President Richard Nixon in the event of a disaster on the moon. After traveling 240,000 miles in only 76 hours, Apollo 11 entered into lunar orbit on July 19th. The next day, Sunday, July 20th, at 1.46 p.m., Armstrong and Aldrin separated the lunar module named the Eagle from the command module. Astronaut Michael Collins remained behind on the Columbia to stay in lunar orbit, watching and awaiting the outcome as his friends descended to the surface of the moon. The Earth was listening with Collins on this Sunday afternoon as two men tried to do something for mankind that might go impossibly wrong. Hey, 75 feet. That's looking good down a half. Six forward. 60 seconds. Lights on. Six. Down two and a half. Forward. 
forward. That's 30 feet down, two and a half. Picking up some dust. 30 feet, two and a half down. Straight shadow. Four forward. Four forward, drift into the right a little. Down and a half. 30 seconds. Forward, drift. That's Contact right. Okay, engine stop. Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Roger, Twink. Tranquility, we copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. Thanks a lot. You can hear the relief in Houston as Neil Armstrong reported that the Eagle has landed at Tranquility Base on the southwestern edge of the Sea of Tranquility on the surface of the moon at 4.18 p.m. The computer alarms sounding in the background were alerting the crew that there was only enough fuel for 30 seconds of flight in their descent. At 10.56 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Neil Armstrong was the first human to set foot on the surface of the moon. Hundreds of millions watched in great anticipation as Neil Armstrong stepped off the ladder and planted his foot on the moon's chalk dust surface. I'm going to step off the lamp now. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. The astronauts completed their geological tests and other missions on the moon's cratered surface in two and a half hours before they returned to the Eagle and were the first humans to spend a night at Tranquility Base. Now the attention of the world turned to the impending launch and the ascent back to the Columbia, where Collins was waiting in his perpetual orbit around the moon. If the lunar module failed to launch from the surface of the moon, a slow death for the two stranded astronauts would come from starvation or from what William Sapphire later described as deliberately closed down communications, which was a euphemism for suicide. At 1.54 p.m., the Eagle made a successful launch from the surface of the moon. Neil Armstrong later confirmed that the lunar landing and subsequent relaunch were his greatest concerns. He said, the unknowns were rampant and there were just a thousand things to worry about. For his part, President Nixon was only to deliver the statement that Sapphire had prepared in the event of a tragedy that left the Apollo 11 astronauts stranded on the moon. Instead of delivering Sapphire's speech, the president was able to speak to the men in a radio to telephone signal that was broadcast around the world. The following is that contingency speech never delivered in the event of moon disaster. 
fate has ordained that the men who went to the moon to explore in peace will stay on the moon to rest in peace. These brave men, Neil Armstrong and Edwin Aldrin, know that there is no hope for their recovery, but they also know that there is hope for mankind in their sacrifice. These two men are laying down their lives in mankind's most noble goal, the search for truth and understanding. They will be mourned by their families and friends. They will be mourned by their nation. They will be mourned by the people of the world. They will be mourned by a mother earth that dared send two of her sons into the unknown. In their exploration, they stirred the people of the world to feel as one in their sacrifice. They bind more tightly the brotherhood of man. In ancient days, men looked at stars and saw their heroes in the constellations. In modern times, we do much the same, but our heroes are epic men of flesh and blood. Others will follow and surely find their way home. Man's search will not be denied. But these men were the first, and they will remain the foremost in our hearts. For every human being who looks up at the moon in the nights to come will know that there is some corner of another world that is forever mankind. William Sapphire's task was a daunting one. To imagine a worst-case scenario where Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin were never to return from the surface of the moon, stranded without the hope of rescue as the world was watching. The complexity of the mission before the astronauts and NASA required a contingency plan written with eloquence and respect. Sapphire accomplished this. His speech was unknown and carefully stored away in the National Archives until it was discovered around the 30th anniversary of the lunar landing in 1999. What if we, as messy leaders, lived out vulnerability like this, engaging not only our triumphs, but also the likelihood of our failures and our defeats? Experimentation and learning are vital elements of healthy, organizational cultures. Messy leaders should desire to do the hard work that it takes to establish our organizations on the belief that learning from our failures and our messiness is something to be celebrated. To lead with vulnerability is an act of courage. It took great courage for William Sapphire to imagine a scenario where two American men were left to rest in peace on a desolate landscape. With no hope of rescue, even while the globe of the earth, their homeland, was in the distance. In closing, I think it's important to explore the connection between vulnerability and trust. There are two distinct dimensions of trust the cognitive and the affective. Cognitive trust is connected to a rational assessment of whether a leader is perceived as trustworthy. 
and affective trust is built on an emotional response to the leader. As it turns out, leaders truly are judged by what others think and feel about us. And this fact should not be ignored. Through his research on organizational trust, Dr. Roger C. Mayer has discovered that the cognitive trustworthiness of a leader is primarily developed through a leader's ability, a leader's benevolence, and a leader's integrity. And the affective trustworthiness of a leader is mainly built through the leader's interpersonal interactions with each follower. Vulnerability in leadership is directly tied to affective trust, the emotions. In order for messy leaders to be truly effective and affective, we must engage both of these dimensions of trust with those we lead. To build cognitive trust, messy leaders need to be committed to integrity, committed to personal growth, and committed to generosity. To build affective trust, messy leaders need to be committed to developing one primary characteristic in the way we lead, and that is vulnerability. Messy leaders who lead from a place of vulnerability, acknowledging the complexity of life and inviting others into the narrative with us, are seen as more trustworthy by those we lead. And vulnerability can be developed. Just as we can be devoted to the virtues of character, we can also learn to be vulnerable. I know this statement may be unnerving for some of us, but the reality is no less true. Building an organizational culture of trust and vulnerability is worth the sacrifice. Your personal growth as a messy leader will undoubtedly carry you into the great risks of vulnerability, because vulnerability is an integral characteristic of messy leaders. If you are entertaining the thought that vulnerability really isn't worth the risk in your relationships and your life as a leader, I would like to say that there are times when I completely agree with you. I carry the scars incurred from a life lived with vulnerability. When we lead from a courageous place of vulnerability, we open ourselves up to be hurt by those we lead and also those we lead alongside. But I've found for me that these wounds are worth the risk. One of the most encouraging motivators for me when I am doubting whether the risk of vulnerability is worth the effort and the personal suffering is a quote from C.S. Lewis about the vulnerability of love and the alternative to risking absolutely nothing. There is no safe investment. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable irredeemable. So I would like to leave you with this as a gift. May your life, your messy leadership, and your relationships exemplify 
the eternal value of vulnerability. And may your messy and painful failures lead to your greatest successes. Just a quick reminder, the music featured in every episode of the Messy Leadership Podcast is created by Adam Hendricks. You can find his albums on almost any music streaming service worldwide. The next episode from season one of the Messy Leadership Podcast will focus on clarity. Thanks for listening. Let's get messy. Let's get messy.